Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the True Wealth Podcast, where we discuss the well-being of a Christian business owner and the different facets of growing a business, all from a Christian perspective. Welcome to the True Wealth Podcast. I am your host, Shewadeyemi. Thank you very much for joining us once again. You mentioned something that I think every leader has to have was is a principle. Principle versus expediency. It's one of the other things you really talked about. And knowing who you are as a leader before you have to make the decisions you do can you talk can you talk to us about that yes uh is um we there's a tendency especially in our culture today uh another term that could maybe go with expediency is uh, making uh decisions out of emotions Mm. Uh, rather than principles. And um, uh, it's a common uh, arrow, you know, it's a common problem in our uh, cult, you know, our just culture and gender. Culture in general today, it's very emotionally charged. Yeah, very emotionally charged. But keep this in mind, regardless if you're talking about on in your personal life or in the business life uh, or even you know, if you're a soccer coach, you know, wh- whatever it is somewhere uh, for some young kids, you know, uh, not 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 necessarily in school, but is uh, uh, moment by moment, we make choices and our choices make us. Mm. Now, this expedient, emotional driven uh, person uh they are typically driven by fear and they're after, be honest with you, they're after short-term gratification, you know, self-gratification and short-term gain. Mm. And what happens, and this is a lot of the issues in our current culture today is you get addicted to that. Uh, and it's like you want, uh, it's like everything has to be urgent, uh, rather than imp- you, you get caught up in the urgent things rather than important things in life. The important things. Exactly. So, but once you get addicted to this kind of lifestyle, uh, is that you eventually, uh, incur negative consequences consequences and uh your options are limited and uh but conversely if you make principal decisions you're driven uh or you're you are empowered by faith and Hmm. uh let me share this with you i use this term uh that's related to this uh, principle versus expediency. When we're making decisions day by day or moment by moment, 
you can choose. Are you going to, uh, are you going to play now and pay later? Or are you going to pay now? I'm sorry. If, are you going to play now and pay later? Pay later. Are you going Mm -hmm. to uh, pay now and play later? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make any difference. Whichever way you go, you still pay. You're still going to pay. You're still going to pay. And because you're a financial advisor, you understand compound interest. Mm -hmm. So what happens over time, it compounds. That's right. So this principal decisions, and you would understand this for your Christian audience, is that they're willing to, uh, they understand there's certain things they just don't do. There's certain things that they, uh, certain boundary lines in their life. You just don't cross. They don't cross. And they are willing to make short-term sacrifice, and they look at it as an, an investment. And what they see, if they practice that as a habit, they'll see compound growth, success, and, of course, their life is going to be a lot better off. It works in both ways because when you pay now through sacrifices, your 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 growth and your success is compounding on the other end of it. So it's it's short term short term pain for long term gain, right? But the flip is this: when you play now and you are driven by your emotions, the negative consequences of your emotions or your emotional decisions compound, and you pay later. But now you pay more because of the compounding consequences of your decision. You had something here in your uh, one quote here that that really stood out to me. You said your unchecked emotions will always override your intellect. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, uh, I've I've uh, that's something I've learned, and that's one thing we got to be careful about. Because uh, see, a person that is this emotion driven. See, they're wanting, they're more interested in making popular decisions, mm-hmm. not the right decision. Uh, they, uh, uh, they tend to want to blame other people mm-hmm. uh, rather than taking responsibility. Uh, they, uh, uh, they, they, uh, you know, when I say blame, they'll say things like, well, it's my boss's fault. Or, uh, you know, if they're, you know, my spouse's fault, uh, you know, my parents' fault, uh, it's the government's fault, uh, it's the economy's fault. You know, it's always somebody else's fault, and there's never an accountability, and there's never a admission of I need to. What what am I contributing to this problem? Yeah. See, uh, this kind of relates a little bit, well, quite a bit to my uh, third book, which is called The Freedom Paradox. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I can kind of diverse here, but it, it, the, the, what I discovered in my research for the United States of America is the core values of our country is freedom and, see, I'm putting emphasis on and, freedom mm-hmm. and responsibility. Responsibility. It's not either or, but guess what? 
people from an emotional side, they're driven for, you know, out of their emotions. Guess what they're always saying? What are my rights? What are my what rights? Am I, right. uh, I'm entitled to my rights. And guess what? We we're talking about here a while ago, talking about uh, self-gratification and thing. Guess what? Uh, is there these kind of people are constantly talking about me or I all the time. Mm. And, and you know where that is, that's driven by pride. And that's right. And so, uh, but if you just think about it, what's going on in our culture is and I, I'll, I'll hold it up. Cause I have one, I have an iPhone and we have iPads and I've even seen the term I God and there's wow. a URL out there, you know, like the .com, you know, URL. Mm-hmm. There's a dot, dot .me, dot me. Uh, <laughs> URL out there. If you watch the advertising uh, that uh, I've observed a lot of products and services that are being advertised, uh, the name of the product or the service uh, or program or whatever it is, uh, the, the name, it just so happened. It has the letters in the name, the letters M E in it. And you'll see mm-hmm. uh, some of these ads will capitalize those two letters in the brand name. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. and then they'll go on and tell you, this is all about me. And, uh, uh, you might've picked up that I do a lot of bicycling. And uh, yeah, it's my thinking chair. I also use it a time of prayer and those kind of things. But uh, I remember one day I was bicycling, thinking about the manuscript for that third book. And, uh, you know, in, in the United States, the economists will tell us that uh, our, our economy is based on two thirds of consumer, you know, consumerism. Well, I was thinking about that uh, because nowadays, you know, pretty well with the Internet, you know, you can just about buy anything you want, when Online. you want it, how you want it, you know, all those kind of things. And I started thinking about that word consume. And guess what? The last two letters spell M-E. E. Interesting. Yes, it is. Never picked that up, but yeah. And so it'll kind of tell you how deeply rooted the influence of the, in our culture, uh, is this emphasis on me and I and my rights, but nobody talks about their responsibilities. Responsibilities. And I don't know if you play sports or not, but, uh, I'm, I mean, basketball, uh, what's that? I'm a basketball okay, fan. Okay, well, you know, on a, just think about this. On the basketball court, there's boundary lines. That's so right. So when you cross over those boundary lines, you get penalized. You turn the ball over. Correct. So it, if you just think about any sport or video game or – if a, a board game or whatever, there's always boundary lines. And when you cross over those boundary lines, you get penalized or of something. There are consequences. There's consequences. And, and it, 
those simple little principles apply in our own lives. But when we're not playing a, a sport or something, we just think there's no boundary lines. And we get very confused between uh, uh, between if this, it, it's this confusion of if it's legal, it must be moral. Mm, I actually had a quote like that recently that we often use the law to justify our actions, but the law does not necessarily mean that it is the right thing exactly. to do. The law has been on the wrong side many times in the past. Exactly. And uh, here in the United States, there's a lot of laws uh, that are codified by legislation or through court decisions uh, that violate what's really moral. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why even going back to your book again, a leader has to have this core values, this core belief system that um, a leader has to know themselves that this is who I am. These are my core values. And now in order for me to lead, I need to find people with those core values because there's, because then there's a synergy and then those boundary lines we talk about everybody stays within those boundary lines because there are consequences. And so now you're no longer making decisions out of expediency or out of emotions. You're making decisions that are based on principles, based on the core values of who you are. You, you, I'm going to read out a quote you have here. You said, expedient behavior is rooted in fear. I'm talking about fear that you're going to lose something you don't want to lose or fear that you're going to experience something you don't want to experience. And so when we make emotional decisions as leaders or in whatever area of our lives, we're often making those emotional decisions out of fear that and most times we don't see it. Those It's often really hidden. It's, it's below the surface, but our emotions are often driven by fear. Exactly. Uh, and most people are just going through life, uh, kind of like riding some bumper cars, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just, they, but you know, like, Oh, you know, I hit the wall, you mm -hmm. know, uh, or, I bumped mm -hmm. in, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and it, it's sad that, uh, because we're so driven by fear and it's through, uh, self gratification and, and, uh, a short term gain and those kind of things that we, we, we wonder why we're in crisis all the time. And we get the results that we get because once again, going back to it, there, there are consequences. You pay now or and play later, or you play now and pay later. So we wonder why we're in crisis. We wonder why uh, things are the way they are because at every short stop, we're making emotionally driven decisions. The opposite of that, when you have principles, when you have, when you know your core values is that you're acting out of faith. Because you know that if I stand, if I have this moral standards that I abide by and I work through them, even though in the short term it's inconvenience and it may mean sacrificing something, I have faith that in the long term it's going to help me out. It's going to turn off for my good, whether that's in my marriage, whether that's in my organization, whether that's in my relationships on the decisions I make every day. You wrote here, where there is faith, there is no fear. And where there is fear, there is no faith. Man, 
Hey, you're pretty good. You you got a lot out of that book. Wow. Oh, I, I got a hey, lot. I got a lot. We ought to switch roads here. You let you, you know, maybe I ought to interview you, you know, so. I got another one here. You said, though we have the freedom to make choices, we are not free to choose to choose the consequences of our choices. Boy, you, that's, boy, you picked some good ones there. I I just kept highlighting away because these are these are like I'm a I'm a believer and I've always I always say this to anybody my faith is a big part of who I am and um, and that's why I personally chose to work in the Christian market because I love to talk about God I love to talk about my faith there is no for me there is no secular there's no sacred it's all sacred everything that I'm doing I'm doing to the glory of God and. Our faith permeate my faith permeate should permeate our life and should be the the moral guidelines for the things that we do. And I have faith that honoring God and honoring those moral guidelines have long term consequences, but consequences that help me consequences that are for my good because I'm not I'm not driven I'm not driven every moment by moment in fear or afraid of I'm going to lose something or afraid I'm not going to get something that I want. I'm driven by faith that if I, if I sacrifice something now, if I give up something now, I'll get something later. Going back to the whole idea of culture, one of the things you said in the book that was really profound is if you want a good culture, don't pursue culture. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's, let's talk, let's unpack that a little okay. bit. Okay. Well, uh, again, it took me a while to learn about this as well, uh, is that culture is the fruit and not the goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the same thing occurs even, you know, as, as a believer in our spiritual life, is that through love and obedience uh, and, you know, love God, love people, uh, is that the fruit of that, you know, the focus is on love God and love people. And the fruit of that are going to be a lot of people going to see the manifestation of, mm-hmm. of uh, uh, the the Christ in you. And mm-hmm. so, uh, but I find even some Christians, they've set goals to achieve the fruit of the spirit as a goal rather mm-hmm. than it. The word says it's a fruit, meaning something comes before that. Yeah. So just think about this on, uh, uh, let me say this. And I, I like to talk about two things here because I get, uh, often I get asked, well, how do you, you know, what is culture? Well, to be honest with you, it's pretty hard to define. If, you know, when you look up, I've looked up, you know, on a lot of definitions on culture, you know, formal definitions, and I'm more confused than I was even before. And so I finally came to this point. This is a very practical thing um, is that, uh, and this is where that, you know, culture, uh, is the fruit and not the goal. And, um, is that I live, you know, since I live in Texas, the wind blows and I'm sensitive about the wind because I do all this bicycling. Yeah. So I'm, 
I'm always checking before I go out. What's the velocity of the wind? What direction? You know, I, I prefer, you know, again, in a principal way, I prefer to ride into the wind going out. So it blows me mm-hmm. when, you know, coming when back. Coming yeah. back. Uh, you see, I've been living that way for even since I was a little boy. Uh, so the, uh, uh, so if, but has anybody ever seen the wind? No, nobody's ever seen it. Now, if I looked out, you know, my window here, uh, and I could see the leaves and the trees, you know, shaking the bushes Mm -hmm. shifting back and forth. I could see them, but I see the effects of the wind, but nobody's ever seen the wind. And it's much like the Holy Spirit in our life. Has anybody seen the Holy Spirit? Nope. But we see the effects of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of it. That's given us this new mm-hmm. heart, this new, you know, we're a new cre- creature with a new, you know, a new mind. Just everything. Old things have passed away. Yep. But is, has anybody seen the Holy Spirit? No. So that's the same thing about culture is the fruit and not the goal. Now, what happened, what I've seen in business, I, I've talked, you know, I coach uh, CEOs and business leaders, uh, even pastors of some churches, uh, Christian nonprofits and things, uh, educational institutions. And so the, the thinking before I can help them walk through this is that, well, Bobby, if I, this is an example. It's like they say something like, well, if I I want if I if my employees are happy, uh, they'll be more productive. So the thinking is, well, if I bring in, you know, ping pong table to let them take a break and play ping pong, Mm -hmm. or do I provide them all this free food and, you know, beverage that they want, you know, if, so the the thinking is they're trying to make culture a goal when they do those things because the mindset is if I make the people happy they'll be productive and guess what they're driving for results and they're thinking more money more money more money mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, so but the truth is you got to do a lot of the right things like we've discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, is to, uh, and this is the thing I learned about developing the people. I was so interested in uh, helping our employees be a better dad, a better mom, a better granddad, a better grandmother, better husband, a better wife. And, exactly. Yep. Uh, and uh, so that, you know, went throughout our culture that Bobby Albert really cared for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other things that add to that. uh, But is, but you know, like one of the big things when we talked about engaging employees in the decision-making process, it's like, well, Mm -hmm. Bobby's listening to me. I feel heard. I feel I feel appreciated. I, I'm acknowledged that I'm a, I'm a part of this team. I'm accomplishing something on behalf of the team. Exactly. So there's an engagement that goes yeah. to it. Well, uh, 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 so uh, Gallup did a, a survey a few years ago. And uh, if you, 
I'll just share this with you that uh, there's five things they they surveyed over. This is a massive survey. They surveyed over one million employees and over eighty five thousand companies. Hmm. Well, that's a yeah, lot. This is not like sampling, uh, you know, five hundred people kind of a deal. Uh, or even a thousand. I mean, this is a massive, massive sampling. And there were three things they found that employees are asking from their leaders. And the uh, one first thing was, do you care for me? The second was, can I, and this is what we were talking about earlier. Can I contribute toward the organization's goals? The, the third is, uh, is, is, do you have a, do you provide a culture where there's a sense that I feel like I belong here? The, hmm. the fourth thing was, do you create an environment of constant learning so I can feel like I can do my, the best job I know how to do? And, the, hmm. and the fifth one was, does this company stand for something? Stand for something. And that gets into uh, the area of uh, on standing for something that I found in my own company is uh, I call them uh, the four essentials. And that it that are the core values, who you are, uh, your purpose, why you exist, your vision, where are you going? And uh, I call them super objectives because you some people may call them mission, uh, but I, I understand a lot of people get the word get mission and purpose mixed up. But the mm-hmm. super objectives or mission is what do you want to accomplish every day? And our employees clearly knew uh, all of those four essentials. Now, the last one I finally got there uh, was the core values. Cause it took me a long time to figure out who I was and I was the one driving the core values. And uh, because those core values were there all along, I just finally figured out how to express them. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's when, when I, our employees clearly knew for years, the purpose, the vision and those super objectives for years. Uh, but when I introduced the core values in 2005 and, and, you know, this led up to me selling my company in 2011, you know, since you've been a financial advisor, you, you know what the economy was doing during that time period, especially late right. 07, 08, 09. Was cool. That was, yeah, that was rough. It was rough. I mean, the economy was in a tank and, a lot of people, your listening audience, I'm sure just about everybody has been impacted by that. But guess what? Mm-hmm. During that time period, after I introduced our core values, our revenue and profits grew by over 500%. Wow. Now that's like... That is amazing. When you stand for something and you know what that something is, purpose, your vision, your core objectives and your well, super objectives and your core values. Yeah. So the way I would explain to our employees is that 
Uh, the core values is how we behave as we pursue our purpose, as we pursue our vision, and as we pursued our super objectives. Objectives. Five things you mentioned here that I'm, I'm just going to run through it, but they're, I can see all the, the, the fingerprints all in your book. Care. Uh, making sure that you, you, your employee employees want to know that the leader cares, the organization cares. Contribution. Am I making a contribution as an employee? Am I making a difference? Does my work count? Three, a sense of belonging. Feeling like being part of a team that I, I, I'm a part of, I'm a player here and my work is valuable. Five, an environment of constant learning. One of the things that I took um, that I saw that was really good when you talked about when you're hiring, you had the four C's of hiring. <laughs> you have character, competence, chemistry, and capacity. And I love those four. Capacity, uh, which is can this person grow and expand as in, in what they're doing, grow beyond. Do they have the capacity to grow within the organization? So, and I, and I can see that here as one of the five things that um, a good a good company with a good culture has is an environment of constant learning. And then you have stand for something. Does your organization stand for something? Do your employees know? Do your workers know what you stand for? Those are things that drive drives culture. Those are things that when you have them, then the fruit then becomes good workplace culture. Exactly. It's interesting you bring up about uh, the four C's. Uh, I just, uh, for uh, a nonprofit, Christian nonprofit organization, they asked me to write a blog post. And I just, uh, I'm in the editing process right now. And guess what? <clears throat> Uh, the title of it, it and that may change, <clears throat> is uh, Do You Hire on Competence But Fire on Character Issues? Mm. And to be honest with you, for years, I hired on competence. I looked at the resume, looked at, you know, education, you know, work history. And then I talk too much by trying to convince that person to go to work for us. But I finally learned that somebody could be the smartest person in the world, but they still lie, cheat, and steal from you and from customers. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself for years, I was having turnover. And I was, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to get to a root cause, not trying to solve the symptom which uh, that's another issue, but, uh, but I kept asking the why question, why is this happening? You know, this mm -hmm. is killing me. And, um, I finally figured out through my mentor that I mentioned earlier, uh, is I remember when someone would come in, they typically would bring in a resume, you know, hand us copy, uh, and I, I wanted my mentor. I, I said, look, I'm doing so bad at this. Would you mind just let me watch you? Actually, I had to watch him for several times before I finally got it. Uh, you know, I'm from Texas. Sometimes things come a little slower. Me, you know? <laughs> uh, so, so I remember someone would come in with their resume. He would very gently, you know, lay that resume on the floor by the chair. 
And um, he never, ever through the whole interview, never looked at it. And he, in a very disarming way, he would talk to the person about where'd you grow up? Uh, mm-hmm. Where did you go to elementary school, you know, middle school, high school, college? Uh, and he would ask him questions like, uh, and I couldn't figure out what he was trying to do. I'm thinking, well, whoa, when I look at this resume, we want to hire this person. Mm-hmm. He looks qualified. Yeah. And so, uh, he would simply ask things like, well, who was your favorite teacher, you know, in elementary school? And if you played any kind of sports outside of school at that age, uh, who was your favorite coach? And he would just take those same kind of questions through Mm -hmm. junior high or some people call them middle schools, you know, high school, college and and even the bosses, you know, where they worked before. Who was your favorite boss? Who was your least favorite? Why did you like him? Why did you not? like? Exactly. They was see coming back to processing content. The resume is a what? Mm. The. The character qualities, you're talking about getting to character qualities. You're talking about the why and the how. How. And so what I didn't, it took me a while to figure this out, but um, he was getting to the character qualities of the person. And you know what was fascinating? When uh, When those people would leave from an interview, they would always say, this is the best interview I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And guess what? He would, man, he would hold up his little, you know, yellow tablet with, I mean, there's all kinds of notes all over the place, little square boxes and stuff. And I never could figure out what he, what he was writing on there. But he, he was listing character qualities. Qualities. But mm-hmm. guess what? You know what was the inside about that and that type of interview process is uh, when these people talk about their favorite teacher or their favorite coach, they want to model those, those those character Mm -hmm. qualities. When they talked Mm -hmm. about the least favorite teacher or the least favorite coach or the least favorite boss, that tells you. They don't want to model that. Right. Well, that tells you what their character quality character looks like. And guess what? You know what was fascinating? Because of uh, his methodology, and he, he used a lot of other methods as well, but I'm, I'm just giving you a simple little sense here. He also uncovered uh, uh, their competency because – when he walked through their education and their work history, he was also learning about their level of competence. Competence, because it ties in. It all brings in the brings together the resume. Yeah. It's the things that are not that you can't write on a resume. You can't see unless you're engaging, you're understanding their character, where they're coming from, where they want to go. Right? Exactly. And th- when you got when he was so he focused on character qualities first. And it, it, it gave him the competence. It also, it, it revealed if this person would fit our culture, it also mm-hmm. would reveal, do they have the capacity to, to grow? grow. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for listening to part two of Principled Profits. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Wealth Pod. You can get in touch by sending an email to podcast at truewealthpodcast.ca or by visiting truewealthpodcast.ca. 